All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 71, Psalm 89. You know what? Just go a little rabbit trail for a second. I don't know if you guys have... Have you ever tried to describe Revive School to somebody? Yeah, it's not very easy. It's super hard. I was like sitting back last night with some guys and they're like... I was like, yeah, I'm growing my beard. And they're like, oh. It's like, but I'm, I'm cutting it. I'm shaving it in April. They go, you already have a deadline, a timeline? I go, oh yeah, Old Testament's done. They're like, what? What are you talking about? I was like... Look, I'm growing my beard as I teach through the Old Testament. Like, and then I was like, I know we're teaching for two years, but then we're there for a week in some states and then online in others. And they just stare at you. Have you ever gotten that? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, when you open it up, you're kind of like, okay, what's this? who is the psalmist, right? And then what's the title? And what I mean by the title is what's, what's right below that, right? So it says, Psalm 89, perplexity about God's promises. Perplexity. It's a big word. It is a big word. Perplexity. Think about this, okay? I like what MacArthur does in this, is, is that Psalm 89 is an attempt, okay, hence the perplexity. It's an attempt to reconcile the con- contradictions between his theology and the reality of what his, his nation is experiencing. Let me, let me simplify that even more, okay? So in the first 37 verses, it says that God has clearly, what he does is he identifies, okay, that God has chosen Israel. God has chosen Israel uh, and, and David's descendants to rule. So in other words, what, what the writer says, and, and the writer is Ethan. We'll get into that a little bit about who Ethan is. But what Ethan knows, what the writer knows, is that clearly all he's ever heard is that God, God has chosen Israel. We know that, I mean, in multiple languages, multiple versions, excuse me, of like Genesis 12. Right? Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Ethan knows these things. How do I know? I mean, you'll see in 1 through 37. So the Lord said to Abram, the patriarch, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. So in other words, it's pretty clear God's hand is on these people. And then it continues on in verse 3. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who treat you with content. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, the Israeli people. And so it says in the first 37 verses, this is the wrestling that Psalm 87, uh, Psalm 89 says is that I know God has chosen Israel. And in fact, even I even know God's descendants, David's descendants are chosen to rule. But then what you're going to see in verses 38 through 52 is this is where the, 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 the struggle goes from, oh man, I know that Israel is chosen to be like, wait, what, what is happening? Now think about this. It says, and I like what MacArthur says. Here's another big word, Kevin. The psalmist chagrin. That's a bigger word. It is a big word. Perplexity, chagrin. That the nation has been ravaged and the, da- the Davidic monarchy had come to a disgraceful end. So here's this. I know God has a promise for the Israeli people, for the Jewish people. And yet at the same time, what, what do I see is that the nation, Israel, had been word ravaged right and had uh and the davidic 
monarchy had come to an end. When I think about this, this is this. I'm praying, I sent something from the Holy Spirit. So all my life, I'm walking out what I sense from the Holy Spirit. And then all of the sudden, let's just say five years, I'm walking this out. That whole thing just falls apart. Like everything. This is what the psalmist is processing. I know I've heard this. I know I actually I've read this. But what I'm seeing with my own eyes in 38 through 52, this doesn't match up. Hence the emotion that comes from Ethan. Ethan is probably what we would consider to be a Levitical singer. So, Kevin, he's probably singing the whole time. Singing confusion? Well, at least through the first 37 verses, no, not so much. Because in verse 1, he says, I will sing about the faithful, the Lord's faithful love. So here he is, he's singing. Uh, and yet there's this weird tension that Ethan wants to create. And so that's where I kind of want to go today. And I, I promise you, I bet there are so many people listening today. I mean, I, I don't even have a number, but I bet it is close to 30. I bet it's 75% or above. Somebody said they've heard something from the Lord and then you've never experienced it. Like, you're like, oh, this is what I thought I was going to do. I mean, for the longest time, you, you guys know what I wanted to do for the longest time? I wanted to own my own NFL team. I know that wasn't from the Lord in the sense like I didn't pray about it. I didn't fast about it. But like, that's the, that's the direction I thought. I think a lot of us have some of those things. Now, take that with God's directing your steps. He gives you something clear but yet, you guys, isn't that true in the book of Hebrews? Doesn't it say in Hebrews 11? Clearly, uh, in the Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, aren't there many people, men, in God, men of God, that don't get to experience God's promises, even though he told them that it was going to happen? How do you reconcile that? It's God's sovereignty. I mean, it's, it's him being God and we're not, which in our human mind is really hard to reconcile. It's really hard. And so Psalm 89 is that. It's a guy, a Levitical singer, uh, a man that is from a, a, a godly lineage. He, he's in tune with the Lord. And he's still wrestling with this. And so here's what you're going to see in the first, really, I'm going to break it down now. Let's just kind of use that as your backdrop, if you don't mind, for Psalm. And so in verse one, it says this, I'll sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. For I will declare faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness in the heavens. In other words, I like what MacArthur says. The Lord himself is going to guarantee the eternality of the Davidic dynasty. In other words, he's not done. Like God is establishing what he promised in the heavens. And you, you have to hold on to it. The Lord said, look at this in verse three, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn an oath to David, my servant. In other words, Kevin, we ultimately know that our phrase for Psalms is what? King of glory. So when you see this, Kevin, in verse, verse three, how does that tie in with the king of glory? Well, it's an eternal covenant that goes all the way through. Okay, so when we get to verses 38 and 52, if we do, <laughs> you have to hold on to when there's tough times, verses 1 through 37. You have to go back to the promises in verse 3. that He says, I've sworn an oath to David, my servant. Like, that means God says, it's, it's done. And that wasn't a conditional covenant. Not conditional at all. And in fact, it's pretty clear. Look at Solomon. Solomon messed up at times. His sons messed up at times. But even though there's the mess ups, God says, I'm going to keep my promise. 
the king of glory is still going to come back. And in this time, we know that the writer believes this. In fact, there's multiple times in 2 Samuel 7, Kevin, if you'll even go there, just 2 Samuel 7, uh, it's probably what, 10 and 12, it, it says, Scripture says, I will establish a place, 2 Samuel 7, 10, I'll establish a place for my people in Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not afflict them as they have done. In verse 11, it says, ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel, I'll give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. In verse 12, when your time comes and, your rest with your, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you, you, your descendant, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. It keeps going actually, 13 and 14. He will build a house for my name. Look at this. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, so look at this. Basically what you see in Psalm 89.3 is what? A quote of 2 Samuel 7.13. Can I just tell you this? When you go through these tough times that that we all know are coming, you have to hold on to his promise. I can't say that enough because I feel like in the American church, what I see many times is people quitting before they they uh, they should have. It's kind of like, well, because it's tough, because I'm not seeing my ultimate calling. I'm just going to go a different path. I've seen it with a good friend of mine who was called into to the worship uh, ministry. And some things got tough and he's done. He's out. And I would just say, hold on to these promises, even though 38 through 52 is coming. It says in verse 4 of Psalm 89, I'll establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. I mean, this here's that language, this offspring. It, it means seed. I will make your seed endure forever. In other words, it goes back to that. I will plant it and then it will continue to grow until the king of glory comes. And I will build up your throne for all generations. And I love this, Selah. Like focus and think about what I just said. Because if you don't have verses one through four, Everything else gets extremely hard. In fact, Kevin, if you'll look to Psalm 89, verse 29. Psalm 89, verse 29. It's, look, it has the same language. I will establish his line forever. His throne as long as the heaven lasts. And if you'll keep going to verse 36, notice right before 38. <laughs> his offspring will continue forever. His throne like the sun before me. So I understand the psalmist says God made a promise clearly through the Davidic line and it will not go away. In other words, God is faithful, as Wearsby says, in his character. So let us praise him in these first four verses. Let us praise him because of his faithfulness. Scripture says in verse five, Lord, the heavens praise your wonders, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God is greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, more awe inspiring than all who surround him. You know, this is kind of cool when you think about this, this process. Uh, the psalmist just went through this, this process of he was praising him, right? And when you look in verses 5 through 7, it talks about, let me just say this, the psalmist. In verses 5 through 7, it says, let the heavens praise your wonders. So in verse 5, so all of a sudden you have the heavens praising him. When you get into verse 8, it says, Lord God of hosts, who is strong like you, Lord? Keep going in verse eight. Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you you still them. So what you're going to start seeing is, is the earth begins to praise him. 
You'll see this, look here, through the flood, when the waves surge, you still see them. You crushed Rahab like one who was slain. You scattered your enemies with your powerful arm. You guys have any idea what that's in reference to? It's actually a place, not the Rahab we think of as a, the harlot from Jericho. It's an actual place. Egypt. Egypt. The mentality is, in fact, if you go to Psalm 87, verse 4, this is the mentality, Psalm 87, verse 4. It says, I will mention those who know me, Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. Each one was born there. So it is a it's location that we're talking about. You crushed uh, Rahab like one who was slain. You scattered your enemies who your powerful with your powerful arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them. North and south, you created them. I like this illustration here. There's Tabor, Mount Tabor, Mount Hermon. Here you have 1,900 feet elevation and then Hermon 9,000 feet. So you got this kind of a smaller one and a taller one. And the scripture just says, oh, by the way, they shout for joy at your name. The earth is praising your name. You have a mighty arm, scripture says in verse 13. Your hand is powerful. Your right hand is lifted high. And now what you're going to start seeing in the praising is that now you start seeing the people of Israel praise him. So it's just kind of cool, this illustration of praising him. Now, here's why they're praising him, you guys. They realize the promises. They see the promises. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. Verse 15, happy are the people who know the joyful heart. Yahweh, they walk in the light of your presence. They rejoice in your name all day long and they're exalted by your righteousness. And I love this mentality of why the people of Israel are praising him. For you are their magnificent strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. But I had to do a couple little study on our, our horn is exalted. Typically, it means that it's an animal uh, or a human strength. Like there, but what you're really getting at is that God is strengthening us. The favor comes from God so that us, even though I want to say independence, it's, it's a good one in this context. Like God is strengthening who we are because of, of his favor. And then it says in verse 18, surely our shield belongs to the Lord, our king to the Holy One of Israel. That, that word shield is actually a metaphor for king. So here you have our king belongs to the Lord, our king to the Holy One of Israel. Uh, you can just see why people are praising. The psalmist is praising him. The heavens are praising him. The earth is praising him. And the people of, of, of Israel are praising him. And can I just tell you Why? Because of his promise. Promises. They are truly holding on to what they know. And so now it says in verses 19, you're going to begin to establish even more so like this, this covenant. Uh, you're going to see the covenant with David even more. It says in verse 19, you once spoke in a vision to your loyal ones and said this. Now, uh, when it says loyal ones, who are they? Well, here, let me just give you a backdrop. This one, it, says, to your loyal ones, they said, I've granted help to a warrior. I've exalted one chosen from the people. So clearly, God has given individuals, prophets, words, right, that somebody's going to have a future. In fact, Nathan says in 2 Samuel 7, 4, if you'll go there, Kevin, the prophet Nathan, whom the Lord used, he told David about his covenant. 2 Samuel 7, 4 says, but that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. So that whole thing that we read in 2 Samuel 7, that came from Nathan that the Lord spoke through. So now if you go back in verse 19 to Psalm 89, you once spoke in a vision to your loyal ones. Well, who else could that be? 
You could say, well, is it just Nathan? You could say Samuel. You could say Samuel because he received the message, right, that he was actually going to speak into. In fact, if you go to 1 Samuel 13, verse 13, all you're going to see really in 19 through 29 is David's covenant and the promises established. So in 1 Samuel 13, 13, Samuel said to Saul, you've been foolish. You have not kept the command which the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. In other words, it would have been you, Saul. But in verse 14 and 15, it says this. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Verse 15, then Samuel went from Gilgal to Gibeah and Benjamin saw registers of troops with him, about 600 men. And then it just continues on. And so what you see is, is that Samuel even begins to speak into the situation. Nathan, Samuel, and I, I just think it's a cool picture in verse 20. I have found David, I'm back in Psalm 89, my servant. I've anointed him with my sacred oil. We're going to talk about the anointing um, later on uh, this week, but I, I wanted just to go here for a second, just for me personally. You know, we talked about 1 through 37, holding on to the promises. When I had the Damascus Road experience on April 5th and 6th of 2001 at Taylor University in Upland, Indiana. You know why they call it Upland? you have any idea? No idea. It, it was, I don't know if it still is, the highest point in Indiana, upland, which is kind of interesting. So here I am in this student union, this dome where I have a, a coffee shop. And I'll never forget when this young girl, Sarah, came up and said, hey, I'm supposed to pray for you. And then she went and lay down on a couch. And when she came to, and then Clint, this guy from Alaska, he came and said, I'm supposed to pray for you. He was at the prayer chapel. So here we have two of them. When they both came to 45 minutes after either visions or times of prayer, whatever you want to say, she pulled out a jar of oil. I still have that jar of oil. And she pulled it out and she said, yeah, the Lord told me to go buy this oil at the grocery store. Well, that makes you feel like it's real sacred, right? You know, but in the reality is the Lord told her. And I actually, my, my entire body, clothes on, uh, got anointed. So did the carpet, everything around me. <laughs> and there was, a, there was a moment in my life that I knew the Lord was clearly calling me. And I think in Psalm, what you see in 19 and 20 is that a prophetic person comes in and speaks into David, David, and maybe it's Nathan, maybe it's Samuel. I don't know. But the point is, is that somewhere in that process, it says, I anointed him with my sacred oil. And then look how he describes his role. My hand will always be with him. My arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not afflict him. No wicked man will oppress him. His, I will crush his foes before him and strike those who hate him. Now, all right. Psalm 89 is going to feel very, very similar right here to Psalm 91. So, Kevin, if you go to Psalm 91, let me just go there as well. Psalm 91, Kevin, if you will go to, well, man, even if you go to verse 3, uh, verse 3 says, As he himself will dwell from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague, he will cover you with his feathers, you will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night like air that flies by day, like plague that stalks in darkness or the pestilence that ravages at noon. And look at this. I think of David here. Though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Well, so Psalm 89 uh, really, in a weird way, describes Psalm 91. We're going to get into that. Those that are intimate with him, uh, what does that look like? But this is the word that's spoken over David's life. By the way, you will not be afflicted. In fact, I'm going to crush your enemies around you. 
back in Psalm 89, verse 23. And I'm going to strike those who hate you. And David, by the way, my faithfulness and love will be with him. And through my name, his horn will be exalted. I will extend his power. I love this to the sea and his right hand to the rivers. Rich, I always feel like I ask you this question, but what is he describing here? in Verse 25. Uh, just that his power, that he's he's all powerful and that his power and his glory and his splendor will be known throughout all of the earth. And he's going to give him the land. Right. I mean, tangibly. Absolutely. And then he's just describing even to the point of, you know, to the sea, I'm going to give you to the Red Sea into the Euphrates River. I'm going to take you. I'm giving you this. And then in verse 26, he says, he will call to me. You are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I will also make him my firstborn greatest of the kings of the earth. Now, this description of of firstborn, clearly David um, is the greatest of the kings. But I want to kind of walk through. Again, we might not make it, but that's okay. I want to talk through this this image of firstborn. And then how does this point to the king of glory? So, Kevin, I think it's fair to say that the psalmist, the heavens, the earth, the people of Israel, they're praising God because of the promise of God. The promise of God is the Davidic covenant. Correct. And so now it says, I will make him my firstborn. Okay, firstborn children, okay, according to John MacArthur, okay, this whole thing, is that they're given a, a special place of honor and usually a double portion of inheritance. Okay, actual firstborn. Like, Kevin, who's your oldest? Jaden. So Jaden would be considered your firstborn. In the Bible times, it would mean that he's going to get double of everything, and Jeremiah's not going to get the double amount. It's an interesting insight. So now think about this, okay? So they're given a special place of honor. However, when there's a royal grant covenant taking place, which is what we're describing, okay, I'll describe, I'll, I'll say what I mean here in a second. A chosen person could be elevated to a level of firstborn sonship and then have a title to perpetual gift involving the dynasty succession. So in your illustration, Kevin, you could actually have Jeremiah succeed and become the firstborn. Well, you see it often, actually, in the Old Testament. You know, Jacob and and Esau, the blessings are reversed. Uh, yeah. Joseph with Ephraim, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, so there's this image of firstborn. So just different ways of people becoming the firstborn. It's not actually far off to say, and if you go to Exodus 4.22, Israel was considered the firstborn as well of all of the nations. If you go to Exodus 4 verse 22, then you will say to Pharaoh, this is what Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son. So trying to tie this into Psalm 89. So now think about it this way. Christ, this is what's really cool. So here you have uh, David being considered the firstborn. Here you have Israel become, considering the firstborn. And then if you go to Colossians 1 verse 15, so is Christ. Christ is considered the firstborn. In Colossians 1 verse 15, it says, describing Jesus, it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So Jesus trumps everybody. (laughs) But isn't this cool how this describes the process, David, Israel, and for this reason alone, you guys, it's, it's worth praising the Lord. In verses 28 and on, he says, I will always preserve my faithful love for him and my covenant with him will endure. Endure will mean it will not go away. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as heaven lasts if his son forsakes, if his sons forsake my instruction, which happens, 
and do not live by my ordinances. In other words, if you have a couple mess ups, if they dishonor my statutes and do not keep my commands, then I will call their rebellion to account with the rod, their sin with blows. In other words, I will discipline them. I will chastise them. I will call them out and say, guys, you're out of line. You're not walking in accordment with what I've asked you to do. But he says this in verses 33, you guys, 34 and 35. Oh, really through 37. This is essential. But I will not withdraw my faithful love from him or betray my faithfulness. Even though the rebellion is there, I will not remove my covenant from my people. So. If you are in today's society, you're sitting down with a group of women, you're sitting down with a group of men, and you say this, they say, ah, God is done with Israel. It's now the church. What do you do, you guys, with verses 33, 34 through 37? He says, I, I mean, he says, I will not withdraw my faithful love from him or betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or change what my lips have said. Once and for all, I love this, I have sworn an oath by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring will continue forever. His throne like the sun before me, like the moon established forever, a faithful witness in the sky. Maybe, maybe even the Lord himself. Selah. In other words, this covenant, uh, here's what I love, and I love how MacArthur puts all this together. His covenant is as certain as an establishment of the sun and of the moon. It's done. And if you don't hold on to these first 37 verses, 38 through 52. And I know we're running out of time, but I I just want to emphasize just a couple of things here. Uh, And it just says this in verse 38. But you have spurned and rejected him. You become enraged with your anointed. In other words, they annoy me. You've disdained, you've repudiated the covenant with your servant. You've completely dishonored his crown. You've broken down all of his walls. You've reduced his fortified cities to ruins. And all those who pass by plunder him. He's become an object of ridicule to his neighbors. You've lifted high the right hand of his foes. You've made all of his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back his sharp sword and have not let him stand in battle. In other words, he's got useless weapons. You've made his splendor case cease. And you've overturned his throne. You've shortened the days of his youth. You've covered him with shame. Selah. In other words, how long, Lord, in verse 46, are you going to do this? How long are you going to hide yourself forever? Like, God, do you not remember the first 37 verses? You said this was going to last forever. Will you keep your, will your anger keep burning like fire? In verse 47, remember how short my life is. Have you created everyone for, for nothing? In other words, (laughs) why are we doing this if it just feels so useless? What man can live and never see death? Who can save himself from the power of Sheol, Selah? And then there's this final plea. And it says in 49 through 52, Lord, where are the former acts of your faithful love that you swore to David in your faithfulness? In other words, God, I'm not seeing anything. It's this conversation I had with you guys about this guy saying, I haven't seen God answer my prayers in a couple years. Where are you, God, in all this? Just because you haven't seen God doesn't mean that he's a God that's forgotten his promises. In verse 50, remember the Lord, remember, Lord, the the ridicule against your servants in my heart. I carry abuse from all the peoples, how your enemies have ridiculed, Lord, how they ridiculed every step of your anointed. In other words, this has not been a fun process. But then in verse 52, now that he's done venting, now that he's just saying, God, where are you? He says, may the Lord be praised forever. Amen and amen. (laughs) But isn't that us? 
Isn't this our lives? You have one through 37 saying, God, I love that you've promised me this. I love that I'm walking into to the will of God. I love that I see you moving in my life. And then you go through this period of 38 through 51 and you're like, God, where the heck are you? And then once you realize you're done venting, you say, God, but I still praise you. Amen and amen. And at the end of verse 52, it literally closes the book of Psalms. And Kevin, we know this closes the third book. Mindy's painting over here, you have the five scrolls. It closes the first, the second, and now the third. Psalms is broken up into five books. And so tomorrow, guess what? We'll jump into the fourth book. You know, hey, my my hope and my prayer is, is that despite the hard times in your life, you can hold on to the promises of God and continue to praise Him regardless if you see or hear an answer. Have a great day, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow.